This week, the obvious question is, what are you afraid of? I'm Mike Trevisano with Bob Meyer and Joe Vitalik. Each week, one of us surprises the other two with a question that may seem obvious, but it's seldom answered, and we see how deep we can go with it. We invite you to help us find some answers together through comments on our site, obviousquestion.wordpress.com, or on our Facebook page. This week, Bob asks Joe and I about fear. Why do we have it? How much does it drive our lives? And what would life be like without it? Lately, I've been thinking about um, this constant thing in, in my life, and it's this thing that when I look at my dreams and I look at reality in my, my day-to-day life, it's there. It's a constant, and it's one of those things I can think back to when I was like four or five years old. It was there, and I look at my life now, and, it, and it's still there, and I'm like, why, why is it always cropping up? And, and the thing that I'm talking about is, is fear. You know, even here, we're, we're doing a podcast, and we've done a number of these things. And when I have the question and the balls in my court to offer it up, I have this fear. I'm like, is the question good enough? Is it worthy? And am I being too vulnerable? Uh, and then I started thinking the other day about, well, what are all these fears? Like when I was four or five years old, it was when my mom would drive me to swimming lessons, and I had this fear of water. And I was like, I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. Even though the pool was only like maybe like two and a half feet of water. And... Uh, and when, but when I went under, I was like, oh, gosh, it's like this is the end. And I was so scared. Um, but, you know, maybe that fear, and I know sometimes that fear propels us into doing things that we wouldn't normally otherwise do. But I, I think some of it, even watching the news, you know, this fear of a terroristic threat, the fear of who might be president next, this, this fear of, okay, I'm, I'm getting older, and, you know, this fear of getting sick or... If you have children, the fear of like, oh my gosh, they're out. What's happening to them? And, and it's all these things. And then I thought, is it fear or is it the thinking about fear? So my question for you both to help me through this is, what are you afraid of? Yeah, I, I take the Charlie Brown approach and say pretty much everything. You know, afraid of everything that comes along. But it's funny you bring it up, Bob, because I remember thinking about this a while ago and reading an article that that... 80 percent, you know, this again is a number coming out of somewhere, 80 percent of things that we do are based upon fear, you know, and, and reaction to it. And and I, I was thinking to myself, is that really true at the time? And, I, and then I watched, you know, you watch yourself do things. And I think it is prevalent. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's like you say, the thought of fear. I know there's so much more um, today in the news and things that we see that that have me. It raises my concern for fear, everything from global warming to Terrorism, you know, all those different things that we all read about and see every day on the news. But even before, I mean, I grew up at a time when TV was fairly, fairly new. You know, they didn't have a lot of shows or hardly any news shows. And there was no recorded media or anything like that where you go back and watch it 24 hours a day if you wanted to. It was like it happened when it happened. And like you, I still remember fears that I had. And I can remember moments when I was not that way. So if I if I can get to the not that way, what propels me back to the fear way, you know, what gets me back in there. And I don't know if it's just a, an event that happens or something in my head or a warning, a threat. Like I, I read something recently written in a, a magazine that I read that they asked a question to this rabbi, was he afraid of death? And he said, no, no. He said, I'm afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of death at all. And I thought that's interesting. So that if you're thinking about this and you're thinking in terms of death and dying, you might 
lump those two together and say, I'm afraid of dying, but really it's the death part of it. It's the process of dying, whatever you're hooked up to medical stuff and all that in a hospital. A lot of people have that fear, they have that concern, but the actual act of dying, where the, the moment that you die, in his words, he said, I'm dead. So what am I afraid of at that point? There's nothing more to fear. And even that, there's nothing more to fear. So is it all about the fear of death at some point that even though you know, I'm alive today and things look pretty good, moment to moment to moment, I might face that inevitable death or that inevitable dying, which could be a real problem. It's a good question, Bob. What am I afraid of? Like, like Bob, uh, like Bob, the other guy, Joe. <laughs> like, like Joe, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, you know, I know he's joking, but I'm afraid of just about anything. Any given day, you know, something will hit me and I'll, I'll react to it in a way that I can tell I'm operating, you know, out of fear. I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to see if I can avoid that situation that may have come up or, uh, we've talked before, you know, some work thing comes up and I get anxious about it and I don't know. It's all, it's all this fear response, you know, uh, I think certainly some things are warranted, you know, don't walk down that dark alley in the bad neighborhood or whatever. Okay. It's, it's, you're smart to like be afraid of that stuff, but most of them for me are totally irrational. You know, it, and by irrational, I mean, there's, I'm not really presented with anything, anything that's going to harm me or anything that I can't surmount, but, but the fear is there nonetheless. So what I find is more important for myself is, can I identify that I'm afraid of it? And can I do the thing anyway? You know, can I, can I recognize, oh man, that's just me being, being afraid of something. I'm going to operate anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to go forward with whatever move I need to do to get, to get by it, recognizing I'm afraid, you know, I, uh, you see these campaigns and stuff, you know, live fearless, you know, I'm going to be fearless. And I always think that's bullshit because nobody's, nobody's fearless. Everybody has fears. I mean, the whole idea of, of courage, I mean, we've talked about this, you know, courage isn't not being afraid. Courage is being afraid and doing the shit anyway. Right. And I think that that's, that's where I tend to, to drive my own response to it. Recognize I'm afraid. I'm doing it anyway. You know, I'd never play the piano. We'd never do the podcast. I'd never have, certainly we'd never have moved, you know, to another continent. We would have never had children. We would have never driven a car, you know, if, if we didn't surmount the thing that we were afraid of. Yeah. So I think consciousness is the way to go. So maybe, maybe it's like this ingrained thing. Like, like you said, is there somebody out there or somebody listening in the podcast that could honestly say to us, and all our listeners that I, I have no fear. I'm not afraid of anything. I, I really can't come up with anything. I, I, I wonder where that person is. This feels good to me. Like, I think part of the fear factor, I hate to use that word, is that maybe not talking about your fears makes them even larger. Like, they grow larger uh, when you don't get it out there in the open. Because, mm. like, one of my fears, and this, this is sharing a lot, like, like, I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty secure, but... I had this issue one time where it was like with a certain person, some for some reason I'd get embarrassed and I'd get kind of red in the face and I couldn't figure out why. Why was it? And I had to really like dig deep and I think it was maybe feeling like I wouldn't have the answer for this person. You know, this is more in a work situation. So I was thinking it was like maybe an intimidation factor. Like I look up to this person, they have a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom and like what if they put me on the spot? And I think thinking about that made me react in a different, unauthentic way when I was with them that 
all of a sudden I could think about being embarrassed and I'd be embarrassed. And I was like, how did that happen? Like, how did that correlation happen? But it was all wrapped into this fear. And I had to like talk myself down from that. Like, what's the worst thing? What's the worst case scenario? But it was so real to me. Um, mm. And I know that talking about it, like if I said it to this person, like when you do this, um, just so you know, I get embarrassed and I'm not sure why. That would totally get rid of the whole thing right there because I would face the demon, right? And that was yeah. Like, I, I yeah. This is I'm afraid of you. <laughs> I I I yeah. couldn't I couldn't agree more. I'm jumping I'm jumping at the at the microphone because I have always found a, a surefire way to make things worse is to try to to squash the fear down, to yeah. try to talk myself out of it. Like, Come on, man, you're not afraid. Stop it. You know, that, that is like the complete w wrong way to go. Yeah. Did uh, you guys ever see uh, the movie with uh, It or read the book It with Stephen King? Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That, yeah. It, you know, it's kind of obscure, but one of the things I really liked about the movie is if you may remember one of the main characters, I think he had, he had asthma and he had his inhaler. And when the, the creature was there, he would uh, pretend that it was filled with battery acid. He says, I have battery acid. And he would fire it. And, and the creature would like basically, you know, shrivel up and die. But there really wasn't battery acid. But but that's what it took for him to overcome his fear. At least that was mm -hmm. kind of what I got out of the movie. But I was like, oh. I was like, yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to face that thing. And then just tell yourself, it's I'm not afraid of you. I'm, you're not mm -hmm. real. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Bob. And I, th I think that is the solution, as you said, Mike. And there's another piece, too, as you were talking about this, I think. And I, again, we're not a science group or any kind of, uh, you know, authority on anything, really, other than just human human stuff. Even that I question at times. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the biology part of it, we have to be wired for this. You know, as I'm thinking about it, we've got to have been the result of thousands and thousands of years of survival and whatever's going on, whatever's driving that fear, and if we say every year it gets worse or every generation it gets worse, that makes sense to me. Because think for a second, if I were able to erase from the both, from all three of us, erase the whole idea of fear, think of the things you might do in the next moment. And they probably wouldn't result in good, have good results. They'd probably result in something very bad. Like if, if I didn't have any fear of jumping off high buildings or walking across a beam, you know, a thousand feet up or or hang gliding without any instructions, you know, all, that, all that kind of stuff that today I would say, no, no, I'm not gonna do. In fact, even one of them I was thinking about is um, I'm not afraid of flying, but when I think about it, I really should be. I mean, in the, in the sense, not in an intellectual sense, I should be, but in a real sense, like when I flew this past week, you're inside a little cylinder going five, 600 miles an hour, 30 something thousand feet above the earth, and you're hitting wind and clouds and storms and stuff bouncing all over the place. I mean, if you presented that to me as, uh, hey, this is something that makes you a little afraid, I'd say, hell, yeah, yes. You know, say, damn right it does. And at the same time, here I am sitting with, you know, 100 other passengers bouncing through the sky thinking from an odds perspective that this is safer than me driving in a car. That's what they tell me. But I'll be honest with you, I feel a lot safer in my car. And I, I not that I don't feel safe in the plane, but I'm, I'll say I'm, I'm more fearful of a plane than I am of a car. And I think things like that have gotten us, all of us, civilization to the point where where we've survived. We are the result of all of those fears. And if, if not for that, we would probably not be here. And then our genes and whatever wouldn't be passed on. And we would be you know, that crazy group that literally never grows because they keep killing themselves by doing really fearful things. So I think there's some wiring there. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't understand how that works. But 
it seems like we have to be the product of that. You know, but at least we don't have the fear of being eaten. You know, ever since the, the age of the dinosaur, mm. that was probably the last time that humankind felt like, gosh, you know, we better watch out. Because I was thinking that from an animal perspective, I, I think we talked about this even when we talked about other podcasts about stress and things like that. Like, does an animal feel stressed? Um, you know, but I'm, I'm certain that the animal must fear you know, certain things like they instinctively know like, oh, this is a predator and I need to get out of here. And it's the fear that propels them to, to move on. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm just and, so intrigued by these things. Yeah, I think the modern day version, Bob, you're right. I mean, we're not being chased by dinosaurs, but put yourself out in the in the uh, wilderness or in, in uh, Africa or something like that among wild animals. I think you develop a healthy fear very quickly. Mm -hmm. But the bigger fear to me is like the one where you step into your workplace and you meet that person you know, that boss or that, that, uh, it's not, you're not going to get eaten, but you're going to get something. You're going to get beaten maybe, you know, or you somewhere your life is not going to go the way you want it to. And it's going to be that stress and everything, which eventually will kill you or you'll leave, you know, you'll leave the environment. So it feels like that fight or flight kind of thing. But in the case where you've got this senior person that has a lot of control over you, making your life miserable, the fight's not fair. You know, it's like going up against a dinosaur with a stick or something. You're probably going to get eaten. And yeah, you don't get killed on the spot. We have rules. You can't kill people at work anymore. You can't even hit them anymore, which is crazy, right? Back in the good old days, you could slug it out and, you know, resolve the issue. Nowadays, we do it with uh, with sarcasm. Yeah. You know, we, we rip each other apart with sarcasm, stuff like that. And that's a, a pretty painful death also. Yeah, unless you're in, isn't it in Parliament or isn't there some countries where, uh, you know, they can have lobbyists and meetings and they can hit people, slap people. <laughs> <laughs> They do. I don't know if they can. Yeah, I, mean, they, I, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they're allowed. To <laughs> they have, absolutely do. Yeah, but they do. I mean, did, but wasn't it a bush that got a shoe thrown at him or something like that at one of the? But as you were talking about that, I could think about that. Like even the other day, I was on a on a conference call, and you know, for me being there, and presidents of companies and CIOs were on the call, and you, you can um, you can just sense the hierarchy, meaning like. Like, would I say this? No, because these folks are on the conference call. So there's like, there's that place in order. And uh, and, and even one of the things, uh, I guess I'll share a little bit. Um, it was, you know, a question was asked about this other company and someone said, well, I can't believe they did that. Um, and it was, you know, I approached two people at another company at a certain level. And let's just say a question was asked in support of something we're working on and they said no to me and then the higher level people said well I can't believe they said no to you share that email with me and I'll go to a higher level and they did that went to the higher level and the higher level said of course we'll support that and then <laughs> so it, it, it yeah like I have all this fear like oh well I went to those other people and they said no and now I, it's like I tattletailed on them and now <laughs> yeah so it, Lots of fear there, too. And yeah. So amazing, Bob, as, as you're saying this, I'm thinking so your genes are getting passed on, in a sense, to corporations, even, in the sense that you support that hierarchy in a certain way that allows it to continue. Mm. And the person who doesn't, who's not smart enough or, you know, inquisitive enough to really understand what's going on, they're out the door. I and mean, they don't get a chance to be there, to be part of it. So a company develops and grows just like a it's a system, just like a human being is is a system of cells and stuff. And it grows to the point where its culture, its its being becomes that. And yes men and you know, hierarchical decisions and things like that all become part of the life. It's it's an amazing thing when you think about it. 
you know, I didn't think about, I didn't think getting into it, the fear kind of thing. If you've ever been in a place where you don't fear, that means somewhere something's happened, either at the highest level or somewhere in the organization where they've introduced a, a concept or, or something that allowed them to, to act without fear. They saw the value of that. And then as a result, that culture became a, a fear, fearless culture or you know, maybe an honorable culture that allowed people to interact and work and so on. And, and there are probably companies out there, I don't know too many of them that I would, I would say meet that criteria. Yeah. But I've seen plenty that don't. I mean, plenty that have grown. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's a correlation with making mistakes, right? Because that's one thing I think about on the job that most people think about is that, okay, I expect Mike and Joe and Bob to be flawless. Like, I, I don't expect you to make a mistake. Or there's the fear that, well, if I make a mistake, I'm going to be fired, right? That's the greatest fear of all, I think. And no matter how secure you are in your position, We've all seen in the in the corporate environment or anywhere the person that is let go, right? And you're like, oh, he's gone. I'm like, what happened? Like, and that's a mystery too. You never really know why that person was let go unless they're a good friend of yours and they tell you. But there's always that constant fear, even for somebody like me that's really secure. You know, I always think of like, oh gosh, you know, well, that could happen. Like maybe company moves in a different direction. They say, well, I don't, we don't need your services anymore. But there aren't. Many companies that say, well, we hired this guy so you can fail. I mean, unless you're a true innovator where they're like, well, you just work in the lab and invent things. And if it doesn't work, we're fine with that. But most people are like, no, I want a finely polished product and it better be successful. And there, there better not be any issues. Even in a test environment, like many of us have worked in what we call like a model office or a test environment, the, the purpose of that is to test you know, and see if there's any issues and failures and things like that. And to, but, but to some extent, even in that model environment, people expect it to be somewhat perfect. Like, well, why are there issues? Of course, there should be issues. Crazy. Mm, yeah. And even, even after you run that model office, there's issues, which is even crazier because the model office is just that it's a test environment. When you get to the real environment, you have to expect there's going to be some, some changes. Companies that understand that clients that understand that, I'd say the fear is, is so much less than the one where, you know, something blows up and they come and say, I thought you tested this. I thought you guaranteed us 100% success or whatever. Well, I don't do that anymore. I mean, my answer is we'll do the best we can to test it. But until we go live, real operational live, and even then, you know, there'll be mistakes after that. There'll be errors that follow it. Not that we, not that we want to do that, but that it happens, that it is the real world. I'm just going to ask this bigger question. What would it look like if fear disappeared, if, if all that stuff was... Like if somehow not to wipe our mem our minds of the fear of high buildings or crazy things, but but the how would it look? What would it look like to I'll say work be in a company where fear is is driven out so that you have a situation where you can really be yourself and and not not operate based upon this eighty percent of what you do is based on fear. What would that look like? That's a. I think I I I would. I think you would want to drive it towards zero, but I don't know if you'd ever want it at zero. You know, the whole idea of, of going into a model office environment or test environment is that you're going to try your best to have zero errors in that thing. And you, you don't want to see them. There's an emotional sort of like attachment to like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to see any, any errors here. Right. If, if I was perfectly free to just to let it, let it rip, you know, I think, I think you could, drive a behavior that isn't exactly totally stellar. But at the same point, I totally get you. I, I, 
you know, I, I don't want to be afraid at work. I, you know, I want to be able to fail, you know, but there's a, there's like a limit. I don't want to be able to do something so crazy that I could do harm to, you know, the organization or to myself or that kind of stuff, you know? And from a yeah, sci-fi I, I, perspective, I, I see that Joe, you mentioned like jumping off a building. Would people do that? You know, if you had no fear of anything, including death, would you would you jump off a building? You know, that that's the scary part. Like I can see like a, a sci-fi version of this where, you know, this movie where there is no fear and people do crazy things. I mean, people do crazy things now that we'll we'll see in social media or or on you know. A TV program like wow how did the person do that like why would they jump out in front of traffic dodging cars you know I I, I point to like you know uh, rock climbers or or an extreme athlete of some kind where the whole idea is you know death is a very real thing and and I believe I, I think I've heard enough interviews with them or read enough there that not that they're terrified you know, that, that they can't operate, but that the very fact that fear exists it, is what drives them to keep on to, to perfect the technique, to get strong in, in the best ways, to sort of be the governor on, on, you know, do they go that route in these conditions under these things or do they turn back? You know, and, and the smart ones know to turn back, they, they, to recognize the fear for being real. I think maybe that's a little bit different than than fear that is irrational, like there's a monster under my bed. Like when I was a little kid or when, when my son was a little kid, you know, there's no monster under his bed. And the only way to prove to him that there was no monster under his bed was to show him, you know, to say, look, and you get down there and see, there's nobody, there's nothing under there. It's, it's just, in fact, you know, it's wood there. You can't even go under your bed. But the interesting thing is that didn't always solve it. Yeah. You know, that didn't mean he went right to sleep right away. You know, I think the the human brain, mine included, has the capacity to to just blow it up. It, even though I, I you can tell me not to be afraid, that doesn't mean I'm going to operate that way. Yeah, that, that monster on the bed yeah. is a real image. Like I can remember, I can think back to when, you know, and, and, it, and you're right, even when my parents said there's no monster under there. Or in some cases, I didn't share what I was thinking about that fear, but I can remember reaching down to the side of my bed where it hit the wall. It's, is there anything down there? Like it, it didn't solve the problem, even though it was, let's say it was my imagination at play and maybe it came from, you know, watching TV or seeing something happen. But that, that fear was real to me. Um, and it's funny, it still seeps into the, no matter how old you get, it still seeps into the dreams. And that's the thing I was thinking about. It's like, what would it be like if my dreams weren't filled with fears, real or imagined or in, and real life wasn't filled with fear, what would my life look like? And, you know, I agree with you, Mike. I don't think you want to hit it back to zero. I, I, you, there's probably a healthy amount of fear to propel me forward. But I know some of it is just, like I said, the worst case scenario, my thoughts getting ahead of myself. And that's where I think I'm struggling in life, that I could be more productive. Um, you know, even like me, you know, this I, I've shared like this book that I'm writing and it's been written for a while and I need to get back into it, but there's lots of fears in that. It's like, you know, uh, it's not going to be good enough. You know, there's going to be mistakes or somebody's not going to like this or there's just so many things that I have to like almost put that burden on someone else. And, and, and that's one of the things I'm trying to do is like shift that fear to some other outlet, like get it off my body and give it somewhere else. 
you know, I, I'm thinking as, as you're saying this, I'm going to go back and say, I don't think I ever want to live without fear. Mm-hmm. Because if I, if I go back again, I'll go, I kind of said it earlier. If I go back, every awesome thing that happened in my life was a, was a barrier of fear. You know, it, it existed. And getting on the other side of it, being being with it, and then going past it is what made it like a peak moment of my life. Marriage, kids, yet art stuff, you know, work stuff, everything, climbing stuff, sports stuff, everything had a barrier of of anxiety or of fear. And it was only getting by it that made it like memorable, made it a piece of my life that I look back on and with huge maybe joy or even pride. So I think I think for me, the tool really is all about consciousness, knowing I'm afraid and I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. So I have, I have a final thought too, Bob, on this. Um, Mike said irrational fear, and then you said, no, it's real fear when you were a kid and somebody carries forward. I'm kind of, I'm in both courts. I mean, I, I can see the irrational side of it. There's no monster under the bed. And I can see to your child or when you were a child, there's a monster under that bed. That's not irrational. That's me absolutely believing, just like I believe the world is round and everything else, that there is a monster under my bed. So it seems like that when you say irrational, it's coming from a position of you have a different view of the world, different belief. But to the person who actually has the fear, it's as real, like you said, as, as anything. And even as an adult, feeling in your dreams or having that memory of, of the thing. I remember as a kid, not being able to open my eyes when I woke up in the morning because I had the image of an owl. I don't know where this came from, a big owl. And I hope my eyes would peck my eyes out. So I was stuck. I, if I open my eyes to get out of bed, I'm done. My eyes are gone. So I, I remember squeezing my eyes and lying there thinking, if I, if I, by chance, I just open my eyes, this, this owl is going to, for whatever reason, peck my, eye, my eyes out. And it only ended when I finally accidentally, in a sense, opened my eyes and realized there's no owl there. So to, to me, even at that moment, I, as a kid, I wouldn't think this, but if I was an adult looking, I'd say, well, that was an irrational thing. But I can tell you it was as real as anything else I've ever had in my life. So I'm kind of caught between those two. I, I think both words are true. Both are real. And it depends upon where you are in, in your life process to say one's real, one's irrational. And it, you know, we laugh at the kids that think there's a monster under the bed. But as adults, we don't laugh at certain things that are just as irrational. Um, and we don't see them. We don't see that there's really no fear here. Like Mike said, it's the it's those big moments. It's the ones that really matter that show up that that's not irrational. That's real. And at the same time, some would say, but what happened after that? Well, I was very successful. It's a turning point in my life. Well, it seems a little irrational. That was real at the moment, but now irrational. I don't know. It's just it's confusing. But I, I'm starting to side with both of you thinking I want a little fear, too, because it keeps me it keeps me in the right place. It keeps me healthy in, in decisions and stuff like that. But I think 80% is way too high a number. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to react to it. I just don't want the fear to drive me. I mean, I think that's what I know we're, we're trying to wind down here. But just you th- react to what you, you said there, Joe. You know, often when I when I make a poor move, it's because I'm confronted with fear and I let it drive what I'm going to do. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to jump off this high thing into this cool awesome pool of water i'm not doing it you know but that but jumping into the high fit you know is what the experience is right so again if i can identify it and say all right it is it a real fear is it something i really need to like i'm gonna die if i do this seriously 
okay, let it let it be my judge. Or no, dude, you're just it's you know it's out of the ordinary for you. It's it's something different for you. To do it and see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. always seems to win. Yeah, it's great. I, I feel less fearful right now. <laughs> I'm wrapping things up, but I'm I'm still in fear of what did we leave on the table. I I think there's certainly more for discussion. I know for me, I think the takeaway is that healthy dose of fear is what I need. I think, like you said, Joe, maybe I have a little bit too much of it. It's on my mind a lot, but working through it. And I think just, at least for me on the podcast, posing the question out there and hearing your responses makes me realize I'm not alone. And and I'm thinking the same thing for our listener base. And I'm sure they have lots of advice and and thoughts on this as well. I I also think of, you know, kids, like even my own. I was like, wow, I don't know that I've ever asked my kids that. Like, what are you afraid of? And that's a great dialogue to have with children. You know, even, you know, you hear so much about bullying and things of that nature that, you know, how do you know your kid's not, you know, is your kid going to bring that up with you and say, hey, I'm afraid of this. Uh, So let's have more conversation. Uh, our listeners can check us out at obviousquestion.wordpress.com. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes Radio, lots of different forums. But uh, probably the best one is, is going to our website or checking us out on Facebook, liking our page. And let's continue with the conversation. Love to hear what you have to say in terms of uh, what are you afraid of and uh, how do you overcome these fears. So, till next time, thanks.